Hello, I'm Jeff Bird, the producer of the More Than A Shop podcast. This series was recorded before the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. We felt it would seem odd to release further episodes without acknowledging what's happening in the world and considered delaying or adapting the series. In the end, we decided that this is perhaps the perfect time to consider new ways of doing things, as we all imagine a different future. More Than A Shop covers some of the big topics of the day, before coronavirus came into our lives, but there are issues and topics that aren't going anywhere. We hope More Than A Shop provides some light and inspiration in these difficult times. With that in mind, here's our latest episode. Please enjoy and share. Hello and welcome to More Than A Shop, hosted by me, Elizabeth Holker. We're welcoming guests with something new and radical to say about the big issues of the day. Well, the flavour of the series is a search for new alternative ideas in the spirit of the worldwide cooperative movement, which happens to have started in my hometown of Rochdale. Well, co-ops proudly offer radical alternatives to mainstream ways of getting things done. They are indeed so much more than a shop. Well, today we're looking at the workplace where so many of us spend so much of our lives and thinking about different ways of organising the way we work. And I'm joined by two guests who are both signed up to cooperative ways of working. Good morning. Would you like to introduce yourselves, please? Hi, I'm James Wright. I work for an organisation called Cooperatives UK. Uh, We're the National Association of Co-ops of all different shapes and sizes. My job there is to encourage politicians in government to create the right conditions for co-op growth. I work a lot with the UK government, but also in Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, and increasingly in towns and cities as well. Uh, It's a great job. Very proud to be doing it. Hi, my name's Bo Bullman. I'm the People Development Coordinator for the Warehouse at Sumer Whole Foods, we're a 43-year-old workers' cooperative. Um, we pay everyone equally. We sell vegetarian whole foods and a range of household goods. We're very into sustainability and looking after the environment. And obviously, workplace democracy is really important to us. We are Europe's largest equal pay employer. Okay, well, thank you both for joining me. Uh, Later, I'm going to ask you each for a big idea, a radical idea that will uh, change the way that we all work. Uh, But first, Bo, tell me more about Suma, because it's a name that anyone who's spent much time in a whole food shop will recognise. How does it work? So Suma started in 1977, high to the punk movement, uh, early days of Thatcher, early days of Microsoft. They had two people at the time. We had six They've kind of beaten us. We've now got over 300 people working for SUMA, um, but it it still stayed true to those early traditions of workplace democracy. So six people started SUMA, equal co-owners of the business, and now over 200 of the people that work at SUMA own the business together as members. Everyone gets a £1 share, and we all take part in decisions that affect us all. We have uh, quarterly meetings and decide a lot of our policy and we also have quite radical decision-making structures for the rest of the business. We sell a range of whole foods, um, everything from your kind of dried lentils through to vegan crisps, um, vegan cheese, that sort of thing. So we have chilled frozen goods as well. And 
particularly with the zero waste kind of movement that's growing and growing. We're selling a lot of large things like sort of 25 kilo sacks. And we've just seen constant growth really since 1977 to now. So over 40 years, you know, it's been a great success story. And as I say, the key thing for us is that we pay everyone equally. So we are Europe's largest equal pay employer, paying everyone a lot more than the living wage. as the government has it. Okay, so everyone paid the same, board answerable to members, wholly right. owned by the workers, right. and workers have multiple roles as well. But what, what's your role then? What, what do you do there? So I'm the people development coordinator for the warehouse. In common parlance, that'd be HR manager for one section of the business. So I'm responsible for hiring and firing, performance management, uh, training and development of people, and sort of pastoral care. We tend not to call it human resources at SUMA. We, you know, People are everything for us. We're a workers' co-op. Humans aren't just resources. They're a lot more than that. And yeah, I look after people. But yeah, I do sometimes have to have the hard word as well. Um, just because we're a workers' co-op, we're not immune to, to those kind of issues. But generally, people get on pretty well. Like you say, we multi-skill. So we tend to do more than one role. I also work in the warehouse. I also invoice uh, goods. And um, and do you look for people who are multi-skilled or do people um, adopt those skills once they come to work for you and you know skill up once they're employed? So there's various different ways that we recruit. Sometimes we recruit specifically for skills. So we recruited two graphic designers recently. We needed those skills in our business. But in the past, we've tended to rely a lot on uh, general recruitment rounds. So we look for people with cooperative values, cooperative backgrounds, and a cooperative ethos that chimes with us because that's so important to us you know it's no good having someone that can come and do some work that we want if they don't share the values of our business because obviously being a cooperative is front and center for for SUMA. Okay well I mean it's in some ways in many ways it sounds like the dream uh, a fantastic way of working if you don't mind me saying <laughs> perhaps a bit chaotic maybe or is it difficult to find these people who have these values uh, tell us what what are the downsides? I mean, I mean it's certainly not perfect We're not utopia. We don't exist within utopia. We exist within a capitalist economic system. We have to make profit. That's how we pay all our workers the same wage. We we make profit. We're part of the economic system. It is a very good place to work. And generally, people want to keep working there. I mean, we don't don't see a lot of people leaving. Um, People, you know, come and it's a job for life. Those don't really exist anymore in in the wider world, in other parts of the capitalist economy. People are kind of always keen to climb a ladder. At SUMA, there's no ladder. You come, you do your trial period, if you're successful, not everyone is, but but more are than not, you you are equal to everyone else, you're paid the same, you can apply for any job at SUMA, potentially get trained in something that is totally new to you. So, you know, you might come and start picking orders in our warehouse, you might end up being part of our management accounts team. Um, or potentially you could end up doing graphic design if we were to invest in that, you know. And you can make more money if you work more hours, is that right? Absolutely. So we're paid the same hourly rate. Um, Everyone gets paid exactly the same for an hour's work. But if, for example, you're a driver, and maybe three days of, of, of the working week you're driving HDVs, you might end up doing quite a lot of overtime. Obviously, it's uh, long days out in the wagon. So your weekly pay would end up being quite a lot more than someone that did the bare minimum. But Hour per hour. So there's some incentive. 
there is some incentive to do some some more work if that's something you want and uh, you know we generally find that like younger people when they're trying to start family or so for a mortgage they might want to do some of those um jobs and they might want to do some extra hours but you know other people at different stage in life might not want to and they might want to do the minimum we're quite flexible we we try and work with people as much as possible consumer is all the workers at the end of the day so if someone really needs something we we usually try and make that happen and with uh, the board answerable to members mm-hmm. what about making decisions and getting things done i mean yeah this is kind of one of the bigger questions people assume that you know worker co-ops and more directly democratic businesses will be chaotic and you know those issues can exist the more people that are involved in making a decision potentially the less efficient that decision making process is going to be you know think brexit um, think general elections you know these large scale decisions are difficult to make in a hurry you know we've we've been experimenting with different ways of doing governance we've recently changed our governance structure to this kind of board and members council structure so you've essentially got nine people elected to the board they're fixed term they're recallable and they're from the membership they're paid the same as the membership you've then got a members council again elected recallable part of the membership paid the same as the membership the member council represent the views of the membership and they hold the board to account specifically um, the board certainly at SUMA could not get away with putting something through that the entire membership disagreed with it simply wouldn't happen they'd, they'd be disposed of um, you know and they're quite acutely aware of that they're not acting like you know a, a, a board of dictators they're not even they're nothing like what you'd see in a traditional business where they're kind of calling all the shots and everyone else is jumping to it you know those people might be embedded in any of the many departments at SUMA some of them drive wagons some of them might work in IT or accounts or sales you know for some of their working week not so even if it members. takes longer for decisions to be made in the long run it's worth it and there's a better outcome absolutely I mean you know the more people that are, that are involved in making a decision the more buy-in you're going to get to that decision we don't see 52 48 kind of splits you know we don't see that level of disagreement generally in the co-op you know we, we do sometimes make decisions by majority vote um, often that majority is highest so like a 75 percent majority but we look for consensus we look to get people on board we run forums in the run-up to our quarterly general meetings that bring people together we try and find commonality try and improve communications and, and that's always part of our strategy you know to to work better together it's okay. important to us actually and james is this something you recognize there are a lot of co-ops uh, working this way yeah i mean you know it's there are a lot that work that way i think it's quite flexible there are a lot of different ways to do worker ownership there's a lot of flexibility in terms of the legal arrangement in terms of you know how worker ownership comes about in the first place how things are organized day to day but generally speaking if the business is worker-owned from the outset, the likelihood is that it's going to be a very democratic worker co-op, um, lots of innovation in organisation management in the way that Bose just um, described. If it's a more established business that kind of converts to employee ownership, they tend to use a slightly more complicated legal arrangement. The degree of employee control tends to vary somewhat, and they might also inherit some more kind of traditional practices and ways of working. But even so, most of those businesses um, tend to be quite innovative and forward-thinking and become more so over time the more that employee control becomes a factor. So we talked about the flexibility and the range of models. Where does, say, a business like John Lewis fit with that? Uh, so I suppose John Lewis was one of the pioneers of a conversion. So it didn't start out being a worker-owned business. The owner of the business essentially um, gave away ownership of his business to a trust, an employee ownership trust, which then owns 
the, and controls the business on behalf of all employees. And what what they made sure is that they created structures within that in which all employees were able to democratically have a voice within the the governance and operation of the business. So it's a it's a one part of a spectrum, I suppose, of how this can work. So we see a lot of the principles that Bo's talking about, but maybe fitting a little bit. Li- little more loosely than in this yeah, it's, case. Yeah, th- th- there, there is a spectrum. There are lots of different ways of approaching this. Okay, so we've asked you both to come prepared with a particular challenge, something that's challenging the way that you work, your area of work. Bo, what's yours? I find that people don't really know what co-ops are um, and there's not a lot of awareness out there about what we do, who we are, um, and there's a lot of misconceptions. So for me, the challenge is trying to mainstream co-ops and you know increase awareness bring us more into you know normal thought about business models because we won't get a mention in an academic textbook we're not really thought of by people setting up new businesses as an option Um, and I think you know that absolutely needs to change. And what's getting in the way of spreading the message? Um, I find that obviously we exist within an economic system with certain orthodoxies you know a lot of those orthodoxies are around you know, the individual doing good, you know, the Richard Branson thing, the Alan Sugar thing of the individual entrepreneur coming up with this great idea, pushing this business model forward, making all the money, ending up with an airline or a mansion or whatever else. You know, it's this rags to riches story sometimes, or it's the kind of city playboy. It's these, these models of individualistic achievement as opposed to a more communal endeavour as opposed to a group of people doing something. Um, So it's about our values. It is, it's about our values, it's absolutely that. You know, we are in quite an individualistic, selfish society. You know, a lot of that stuff kind of came to the fore in the 80s probably and hasn't really gone away since, unfortunately. We see businesses as something that someone sets up, someone makes good, someone profits from. Whereas the cooperative model sees it differently. It sees businesses as things that many people set up, that many people share in, that many people develop together. And that message that if everyone's benefiting, we, you know, we each benefit as much, of each, uh, as, much as each other. Why is that? Why, why do we not hear that more? I think potentially because it, it threatens certain vested interests. I think that orthodoxy actually is beneficial to people in power, to people that own businesses. You know, for quite a lot of business owners, single business owners, they potentially feel quite threatened by a more democratic model, by a more egalitarian model. You know, we're we're not interested in enriching small numbers of people. We're interested in spreading out the wages to as many people as possible and either or spreading out the decision making to as many people as possible. Clearly, it's a threat to someone running that old business model where they just want one person calling the shots when we're suggesting that actually employees can equally be involved in calling the shots. Uh, And James, does that chime with what you recognise as a challenge to the way we work as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, awareness, understanding, confidence in worker ownership is far too low, you know, amongst people founding new businesses, amongst workers, amongst business owners, and crucially, people who advise them as well. The evidence that we have suggests that there's a growing interest in society and in business in doing things differently, in working more collaboratively, more ethically, more justly. The problem is that the people who are interested in doing that, whether they're trying to set up a business or whether they have an existing business that they might want to change, 
if they do find out about a worker co-op model or employee ownership model, they tend to find out it by chance rather than because the system actually helps them do it. So we've got lots of evidence to show that most people who advise people starting new businesses or advise business owners don't know anything about worker co-op models. So there's a, there's a kind of almost like an information failure, if you like, which is compounded by the fact that government spends tens of millions of pounds on business advice every year, none of which has anything useful in it about starting or converting to worker ownership. Um, It's partly because of the things that Bo's already mentioned. You know, there are vested policy interests that pull government in a different direction. It's partly because even if politicians say warm things about employing worker ownership, which they often do, when it comes to, you know, allocating finite resources, um, as they have to in government, there are always other priorities. And what we really need to do is trying to push that dial because there are so many benefits of employee and worker ownership um, that we need government to understand those and prioritise trying to achieve that as an objective and allocating resources towards it. And is it also about overall contributions to the economy? Is that a part of it as well? Or? It is about, yeah. I mean, the, the benefits from a, from a policy perspective, if you like, you're talking about things like more resilient local business bases. So co-ops are, co-op startups are more resilient than non-co-op startups. Conversion of a business to employee ownership is a way of stopping viable businesses from disappearing from a place, keeps jobs, decision-making, capital local. There's strong evidence to link worker control and worker well-being, which is increasingly important in society at the moment, the idea of well-being in an economy that like generates well-being. There's evidence that links uh, worker control and performance in a business. You know, these are all really important things. And, you know, above all, like we urgently need to transition to an economy which is better at sharing well-being, wealth, power in, you know, increasingly narrow ecological constraints. And this is not going to be easy. You know, worker ownership is a proven way to do that. And you know, as with many things, yeah. if they were spending more in that area, they may not have to spend as yeah, much yeah. in others. And yeah, Business as usual is a catastrophe, ultimately. Well, one of the places where workers' co-ops really seem to thrive is Leeds. And our producer, Jeff Bird, has been along to visit the workers at the Leeds Bread Co-op to see if he can get a rise out of them. So what's your name, please? It's Jenny. And what are you doing here? You've got, we're in front of a big mixer with a huge dollop of dough in the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just uh, scraping out from the mixer our CD sourdough, and then that'll go into a, a bulk ferment in our warm room over there, and then we'll shape it later on today and, and bake it. I'm a baker. I've only been here actually since October last year, so a few months. You have to do um, kind of six months within the business before you can then take on probationary membership for another six months before you become a full member. Do you think the customers care? Or do you think they just want a nice loaf of bread? I think there's a mixture of customers. I think certainly a lot of people just want real bread. But I do think people know we're a co-op and I think some of them definitely choose us for that reason. The sourdough then, do you have a kind of secret stash of sourdough that kind of keeps going and going and going? Yeah, this is our mother at the moment as we call it, which is the sourdough starter. Um, But um, in a minute actually I'll feed that. And do you know how long this mother has been going? I think it's since the start of the, the co-op, because so it's a fair few years now. Wow, yeah. thank you. <laughs> okay, so we're uh, waiting for the full complement of bakers to arrive. And I'm with... Uh, Sarah. And... And Jake. And what are your positions here? So um, I'm on the marketing and sales team, and I manage the wholesale accounts. I schedule the baking classes, and I coordinate the farmer's markets. And I work in uh, operations admin, making sure everything runs smoothly. We've both been here since last summer, so we're 
technically in a sort of probationary period still. Once we've passed our probation, then we'll be offered membership. And what will that offer that you don't have now? So as a member, you're, you become sort of like a director of the company itself. So as part of that, you become kind of legally responsible for sort of what goes on. And as a result, you sort of join in with the members' meetings. You get a say, basically, in, in the direction that the co-op takes. And how important is that to you? I think it's really important to have that kind of sovereignty and ownership over, over your work as an individual and as a collective. I think it's, it really helps to kind of engage people with what they're doing. Um, you know, we've all got each other's backs, where sometimes in a more hierarchical company, it might not feel like that. We look after each other. You know, we've got our work staff well-being is one of the core principles. So, yeah, I think you come to work at a co-op because you're attracted to that community that culture and you want to move away from the more cutthroat environment and what's the nicest bread that you sell oh personally my favorite is the deli rye sourdough what's yours jake uh easy a seedy sourdough seedy sourdough, seedy sourdough. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't fail to sell that seedy sourdough that's brilliant all right thank you very much oh, thank that's you. fantastic thank you. cheers My name's Lizzie and I'm one of the members of Leeds Bread Co-op. I do finance and HR and I've been here since 2013. (laughs) Uh, So I'm Woody, I'm also a member. And there is a poster behind you, Woody, saying proud to be a co-op. What does being a co-op mean to this organisation? It's a really core part of who we are and what we do. We kind of talk about our name summarising everything about us really so us being about Leeds us being about bread and us being a co-op so it's kind of like one third of us in that respect and it's really great to be part of a business that we wholly control as a workforce you know there's no other managers or bosses that come in and tell us what to do we work on a consensus decision making basis so every member is a director we've got a staff team of about 30 and that includes a mix of contracted staff and casual staff how do you avoid decision making becoming an endless process if it's about consensus so we've started trying to split up into separate teams so that we haven't got a huge number of people in each meeting and then it's consensus within that team and how does the pay work So uh, every member of staff gets the same basic pay. We have a small enhanced salary for members of the co-op. So for four hours a week, we have an additional 25% of basic pay, which gets paid. But all members of staff basically come in on, on the same rate of pay. See, it puts a lot of equality across the business. I find it does help a lot with the dynamics across two different teams. The idea is that if everyone's contributing to making the business a success, then all of our wage goes up. So everyone's got a kind of like equal motivation, basically. I think we're all here for reasons beyond just the money, but essentially we're all here for employment as well. And that's one of our values as a business is to be a good workplace and to provide an ethical and enjoyable livelihood for people. Who, who set it up originally? There's uh, three founder members, um, three guys, Ian, Phil and Zig. They've all moved on to Pastures New over the years. So it's a bit like a sourdough. It kind of keeps going and it's kind of the same and it's kind of different. With different yeah. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, we <laughs> haven't thought about it like that. They were the starter culture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure that's how they'd like to be described. <laughs> but has this spoiled you almost? If you, if you had to leave now and you were forced into a more traditional business, how would you react it spoiled me in some respect, but there's also, we carry full responsibility. And sometimes, you know, it would be kind of nice to not have all of that responsibility as well. <laughs> but I think realistically, yeah, I think I'd also get frustrated and I think I'd feel unempowered and that would not be great at all. And would you evangelise about it? Or do you think there's a limit 
to the scope of it? I'd evangelise about it. I often do. <laughs> yeah. I think we definitely haven't got the perfect working model and I don't think any workers' co-op would claim that they have. But absolutely, I think. The, the principles and the values that we work to as a business, I just wouldn't do it differently. And by all accounts, the bread Jeff took away with him was delicious. So it's time to hear your ideas for how to make a difference in the workplace. Uh, Bo, we heard a lot of parallels there with your um, workplace as well. What is your radical idea to improve the way you work? I want simply more people to know about workers' co-ops. And I feel that the more we can cheerlead for this awesome radical business model, then the better things are going to become for the economy and for the people that work within it. And as we've said, this is about spreading the message, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's part of why I'm here today. And it's part of why I wear my Suma t-shirt proudly when I'm out, you know, out on, the, out on the street. I genuinely believe that this business model can offer so much to people, um, much more longevity, solidarity is absolutely something that we need. You know, we need to rebuild communities in this country. And worker cops can absolutely be part of that. You know, there's just so little awareness. And getting out there and talking about it positively, trying to get people to understand who we are, what we do, that we're not just some slightly odd eccentric hippies who were stuck in the 1970s. There might be a couple of them, but that's not (laughs) the whole picture. Co-ops are modern as well. Do you worry that that's how people perceive you? Because you do, you know, there's the whole foods, vegan food, you know, it does sort of play into that stereotype, doesn't it? Sure. I mean, we've got, you know, the benefits of both worlds, I would say. You know, we've got amazing customers who are small whole food shops that have been going since the 1970s. And we've got amazing customers who are absolutely up to date, bang up to date, current 2020, you know, part of the increasing interest in vegan food, plant based diets. We straddle both of those parts of humanity. You know, we're, we're modern, we're traditional, we're rooted in, in history and in culture and in a really proud worker ownership culture. But we're also pretty modern you know we're experimenting with new ways of organizing we're trying to inspire and encourage other co-ops and you know i'd just love to see more startups using the worker co-op model there's a lot of people that start their own businesses you know young people millennials and uh, the new generation the kind of greater Thunberg generation there's a lot of interest there's a lot of innovation there and i think that you know worker co-ops are not something that should be left in the 1970s you know in in the days of kind of strikes and and darkness you know it's absolutely something that is 100% current and it'd be great to see more and more young people taking up that business and why, model yeah why are you more evangel- why are you so evangelistic about this is it because uh, if everyone had a, or if more people set up worker co-ops, it would come back to benefit us all. Or would you just like see more people uh, already reap the benefits that you in Sumer sure. have? I, I think that there's intrinsic value for humans in choosing uh, in having as much democratic control as possible over their work and in having as equal say and pay as possible. I think there's intrinsic value in that, but I think there's value beyond that for the rest of society. I think, you know, only good can come from more co-ops. It's not about trying to big up Suma, though I think is absolutely brilliant and I'll happily cheerlead for my, my cooperative. I think it's about what this model can do for society beyond the co-ops themselves. I think having more people engaged in decision-making and their work 
actually makes their work better and that makes society better. People are happier to go to work. You know, they're not just doing it to put money in the pocket of, of one man, and it is usually a man, unfortunately, um, but, but to enrich themselves and to better themselves, to develop themselves. Okay. It's got to be laudable. <laughs> and uh, thinking beyond that, how do you get your message uh, to people who are not just already interested in the cooperative movement and have those values, but to you know the wider public? That's the big question because... You know, we're, we're very good at talking to ourselves, as, as are lots of these kind of movements. We're very good at preaching to the converted, preaching to the choir. Beyond, it's getting ourselves out there, getting our, our products out there and telling our story through our products. For, for Suma, you know, we produce things like vegan ham and pea soup. And on our cans of vegan ham and pea soup, we talk about the fact that we're a workers' co-op. So the hope is that people that buy our brilliant vegan or organic or, or whole food products will actually see a little bit of the Sumer story and hopefully be inspired. On our wagons, on our, um, on our delivery trucks, we have um, the fact that we're a co-op centred, that we're a workers' co-op, that we're owned by the workers and all that kind of thing. So, you know, part but- of it we can do through what we're doing anyway. Yeah. And getting beyond those people who buy vegan pea and ham soup, um, how do we reach those people? Um, I, I think the world is in flux right now. I think lots of things are up for grabs. I think what I was talking about before about a new generation of people coming through who, for very good reasons, do think differently about how the world, how the world should work. They might not necessarily know about co-op to be the traditional co-op audience, but they're looking for different ways of doing things. And at the moment, they're perhaps thrashing around vaguely looking for something different. If we can put the co-op model in front of them as one a solution to change the world in the way they want to change it, then we will be reaching a much bigger audience than we are now. And is online helping? Because I guess it's younger people, the next generation, they access, that's how they access their information, isn't it? Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, in the past, potentially, the cooperative movement has had an image problem that it's been seen as this older thing. And it's up to us to get out there, to get on YouTube, to get on the so- various social media channels and put out the good parts of being a co-op. Talk about how great it is not to have bosses in the traditional sense, how great it is to pay ourselves equal wages. These sorts of things really do chime with young people in particular. You know, they're exciting. They're bold, they're radical ideas. And we know that we need radical solutions to fix the economic and climate problems that the world's facing co-ops can be a massive part of that and james what is your idea okay so our big idea is a concerted national campaign kick-started by cooperatives uk and the employee ownership association to try and achieve one million individual worker owners in the uk by 2030 that would be about a five-fold increase from where we think we are now um, we're trying to get the UK government to adopt that ambition and then crucially to begin allocating more funding towards addressing that information failure that I was talking about before so that more people and businesses do understand worker ownership and can access the expert support they need to adopt those models where the fit's right, which we know the, increasingly the fit is going to be right with what people want to do. But we're not waiting for national government. We've already got charitable funding for an awareness and advice pilot, which we can run in two cities, probably somewhere in England, hopefully working with local government and local business networks to prove that this type of approach can make a real difference. So it's an active policy campaign. And it's also a set of practical actions, which all together we're calling One Million Owners. So anyone listening, if you want to find out more about it or get involved, um, go online, search One Million Owners. Okay, so you're talking about this becoming declared policy for national and local governments. Why would they be inclined to make it such? 
Um, I think we, we've talked about it before. It's about a, a resilient local business base, co-ops being more resilient, employee ownership conversions being a way to, to prevent business loss, the loss of viable businesses. It's about enhanced worker well-being. It's about better business performance. It's about lower inequalities in wealth, well-being, power opportunity. It's about that we, we need to transition to an economy which is better at distributing these goods within the constraints of the planet. And would that be kind of a top-down policy declaration, though, that to help a more cooperative way of movement? Is there some contradiction there? I don't, it's, it's not top-down. Um, we want one million owners to be an ambition that's shared by government, by businesses, and really by anybody who thinks that the way we do business and earn a living needs to change. Um, our theory of change is very much about addressing things from the bottom up, um, you know, fixing those information failures so that people have the information and support to change the economy for themselves. And my question to both of you is, um, are there areas of work where you think the worker co-op model just simply would not fit? I think that potentially it could work in all kinds of businesses. We've seen some really interesting worker co-ops over the years. There's a care workers co-op. In America, they've got a lot of electric co-ops. You know, there are some quite odd co-ops. There's various bars and social centres there is a there is a real plethora of, of areas where you know employee ownership, worker ownership, co-ops that do work, and it can be quite surprising. I guess things like the financial sector, things that are really fiercely hierarchical, fiercely individualistic, and selfish, are going to be tougher nuts to crack from a kind of cooperative perspective. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. But actually, I think there is a bank in Sweden which has more of a, an employee-owned model. So even in that system, that nut is being cracked. Even in banking, yeah, okay. Yeah. And seedy sourdough, as we heard. Um, well, thank you both. That was a really inspiring conversation. To hear future episodes of More Than A Shop, subscribe to the podcast at morethanashop.coop or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than A Shop is a collaboration between Cooperatives UK, The Co-op, Co-op News, the Cooperative College and the Cooperative Heritage Trust. The series is presented by me, Elizabeth Holker, and it's produced by Jeff Bird on behalf of SPA.